Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello and welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. I'm Mike Salmon, sitting in today for Duffy Dixon, and joining me is Ben Sawyer. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched Soar Vision Group to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results. Also joining us today is Lisa Council, the Chief Commercial Officer with Soar Vision Group. Lisa has over 20 years of clinical leadership and clinical informatics experience. She spent 19 years at the McKesson Corporation. Our special guest today is Dr. George Benson, the Professor of Decision Sciences at the College of Charleston. He currently serves as the Baldrige Foundation's Chairman of the Board, in addition to serving on the Board of Directors for three public companies, Agco, Crawford & Company, and Primerica. Dr. Benson graduated from Bucknell University with a bachelor's degree in mathematics. He did graduate work at New York University and earned a doctorate in decision sciences from the University of Florida. He taught in the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota, served as the dean of the Rutgers Business School at Rutgers University, and as dean of the Terry College of Business at the University of Georgia, prior to serving eight years as the president of the College of Charleston, where he continues to teach statistics. Dr. Benson, thank you for joining us here today in the studio. Thank you. It's good to be here. Do you prefer that we refer to you as Dr. Benson or George? How, what's your preference? George is fine. George is great. Yeah, okay, absolutely. so George, Ben, and Lisa. <laughs> so for the listeners, um, it is really an honor to have uh, George Benson on the show today because he has a significant history with the Baldridge, and as you can tell from his credentials, is a, uh, a very well-educated and experienced executive. So, so George, welcome. And we want to just start by understanding your background with the Baldridge, and then get into sort of your perspective on that. Well, my background with the Baldridge uh, began in the 1990s, but I actually have to go back farther than that. If I go back to the 1960s, uh, my father was a professor of statistics at Bucknell. Oh, okay. My first statistics course was from him. Interesting. And that was the first time I saw anything like statistical process control. Yeah. And so that was my first flavor or touch into the, the world of quality and so forth. I moved on to a master's program at New York University and there studied statistical process control again, and eventually on to the University of Florida in the PhD program. Yes, I was in the business school, but my minors were statistics and economics. Wow. So all of that was the, the background that led me to the University of Minnesota as a professor for 16 years. That's where it really caught on fire. That's where I really got interested in in Baldridge and in quality management, quality control, and so forth. So how did how did the statistics and um, decision sciences uh, lens help provide insight for you as it related to the power and efficacy of the Baldridge? My background was, when you say statistics, you're talking basically data analysis, right. if you will. So data is at the core virtually everything I did. All the statistical methods that I learned and I applied, whether it was through consulting or teaching in the classroom, was all about data. Right. And, and 
the data is at the core right. of, of quality and quality management and performance excellence. Right. At the core, period. That's, yep. So that's, that's where it started. But what happened was in, in 1970, the United States, 1970s, the United States sort of woke, woke up all of a sudden and realized, oh my gosh, the, the, the products coming out of Japan are superior to ours. The right. electronic products, the right. automobiles, the televisions, and, and so forth. What happened? Because when I was a kid growing up back in the 50s, you didn't want to buy anything in Sudden Bay in Japan because the quality right. was horrible. Yeah. So what happened was people like Ed Deming, one of the so-called quality gurus, Joe Duran, another quality guru, uh, had, had gone over to Japan and taught them statistical process control and other quality management methods. Japanese got ahead of us. So we woke up, so it's while I'm a professor, the, the country is coming awake, the Western world is starting to wake up, this quality revolution sweeps ac across the world, and I'm seeing this, and here I am with my skills in statistics and data analysis, and it looked interesting, so I dove right in. Now, Baldridge didn't come around until 1987-1988, but it was launched because we were behind. Try to make us more competitive, try mm -hmm. to make us more efficient, try to produce higher quality products, uh, make us a more competitive marketplace for the world here in the United States. So President Reagan became interested in American exceptionalism. This would have been in the late 80s, right? Yes. And and Malcolm Baldridge was the was the uh, Secretary of Commerce at he the was. time. So were you exposed to how the genesis of the Baldridge then based upon that timeline? I was exposed to it initially through reading, just kind of seeing it emerge, if you will, in the newspaper or a little bit on television. But I also was connected to Ed Deming. I had gone to one of his four-day seminars in the mid-'80s. Then eventually he invited me to speak at one of his four-day seminars That's in awesome. 1990. Wow. That's so great. I got an opportunity to be around him and get to know him a little bit. Also had a little time with Joe Duran, uh, also with uh, Bill Golomsky. Now, Bill Golomsky was uh, a president of the American Society for Quality. He was one of the first members of the panel of judges ah. back at the very beginning. So Bill was a consultant uh, from Chicago. He also uh, taught at the University of Chicago. I saw a lot of him in the late 80s. So as he went into and got involved with Baldridge, I heard a lot of it from him. Uh, that was how I and so I, I mean, started, you, you were getting really exposed. Right on the, on I the, mean, you were getting yes, exposed and interacting the with the leaders of the whole quality movement worldwide. That's an amazing background. And they were, you know, those guys were called gurus at the time. Yeah. And they were right at the, the focal point. Also, you had, uh, besides Deming and Duran, you also had Phil Crosby. Those were three. And I was fortunate enough at the University of Minnesota to be able to interact with all of them. Also, at that period of time, Kurt Ryman. Kurt was the first director of the, of the Baldridge program. I spent time with Kurt at the University of Minnesota. So all of these people who were involved with the very beginnings of this movement, if you will, I was fortunate enough to have access to. That's, that's a that's, great story. That is absolutely amazing. So for the listeners, you are are listening to- History. Um, <laughs> yeah, an executive who has been, and an educator who has been a part of the Baldridge from its very origins and source. So again, we're really privileged to have you on the show today, George. This is amazing. So that helps answer the question sort of of your background and connection to the Baldridge. Then you saw the Baldridge evolve. So it was yes. housed under NIST, the National yes. Institute of Standards and Technology. Talk to the audience a little bit about the evolution of it and kind of where it is now okay. from your perspective. Well, 
And then my direct involvement with Baldridge, one day in about 1996, I got a call from Harry Hertz. Harry was the second director and longtime director of the program, and he's still involved with us uh, and the, the Baldridge Foundation. So we see Harry quite, quite regularly. He called and invited me to be a, a member of the panel of judges. So we had nine national judges for the award, and I, of course, said yes as fast as I could. And that's how I got involved and sort of could see it then from the inside. That work then, after finishing up three years of that, then I was invited to join the Board of Overseers for the Baldrige Program and did that for a three-year term. And the, the last two years, I was chairman of the Board of Overseers. And this is at NIST. This is at right. This board yeah. really reports to the Secretary of Commerce. Right. And it's looking out for the national interest. Is the Baldrige Program working in the national interest? Are there things it could do to improve? So every year, we reported out to the uh, Secretary of, of Commerce. Uh, when I finished that three-year term, I was then invited to join the Baldrige Foundation Board in about 2007, I think it was. And I've been on the Foundation Board since then, and I've been the chairman of that board for the last uh, seven years. So the, uh, the award has evolved over time. It started out as just sort of three, three categories. You had service, small business, and manufacturing were the categories uh, of the economy in which you could receive or win a Baldrige Award. But the thing to remember as we talk about the Baldridge Award, it's really not just an award program. It's really an educational program. For sure, process. Where, and what the, all the award does is uh, it, it, it identifies role model organizations that can be held up for other people to learn on, mm -hmm. to learn from. And so they are then required to share uh, with other forms, firms after they uh, receive uh, the award. So the Baldridge program over the years then evolved on from those first three categories, service, small business, and manufacturing, to education, healthcare, and nonprofits slash government. So that covers now the entire economy. And Baldridge has a Baldridge Excellence Framework, which is a, a criteria of something like 370 questions that gives people a, a systems approach to managing the performance of their organization. And that criteria is evaluated and revised, tweaked every every other year, every two years, basically. So that's another way that the it has evolved over time. Some of the changes in there. If you look at the first set of criteria versus the first set of criteria, were not all questions. There were some questions, but there were more statements. Mm -hmm. Then it eventually was revised so that it's all questions now. So it's it's easier to access. You can pick it up and dive right into a particular area, leadership, for example, or strategy, and pull out questions that can help you, whether mm -hmm. you're on a board of directors, whether you are the leader of the organization, whether you're a mid-level manager, whether you're somebody working on the floor. It's accessible through those questions. And again, for the listeners, this has been going on now for 30 Three plus years, years. Yep. and and so there's been this this very arduous refinement and application of the Baldridge to uh, all these cross sector uh, industries. Yes, with remarkable outcomes for those who are national Baldridge winners. Correct? Yes, no no question. Their their performance has been documented. It's significantly better than organizations in the same competitive fields that have not followed the Baldridge approach. So it, is, it has been uh, very beneficial to the country as a whole, not just to the individual organizations that are pursuing a Baldrige journey. It's, it's helping so, our, our whole marketplace. So the logical question for the listeners is, if it's so powerful and so comprehensive, why isn't everybody doing it? 
That's a good question. <laughs> and that might take me an hour or two well, to answer. And, 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 even, and even comparing to 1996 when you became really involved, yes. could you compare and contrast with Ben's question of why there aren't more organizations that are embracing again if if other if they're outperforming if winners are outperforming their competitors five to one some some articles will say yes then why aren't they jumping on the bandwagon you would just think they would all be and again it seems like there are less today than there were maybe in 1996 is that a true statement I don't Organ- know. Organizations I don't know, you know, pursuing? There's no way to know how many organizations are actually pursuing it. We, you know, we get applications to people who want to uh, win regional awards or state awards or the or the national award, but I don't think we have an accounting of, and there's no way we could know gotcha. all of the people that are actually following the Baldridge a- approach. But so let it's, me ask. It's thousands of organizations. Right, right, right. I don't know how many. So thousands. let yeah. me ask the question this way, baby, for the benefit of the listener. From your perspective, what have been some of the obstacles yes. for broad adoption? Yes. I think one of the obstacles has to do with the length of the document, the length of the, the Baldridge framework, the excellence framework itself. It's 50-some pages long and has 370 questions in it. So it's, you know, it's, it's not, a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, it's fairly detailed, and it, but it needs to have that sort of detail. So there have been some uh, other introductions developed over time. We have a Baldridge Excellence Builder now that the Baldridge program has turned out, which is a much shorter version, but that's only been out for for a few years. I use that in the classroom, for example. I use that to introduce freshmen, sophomores, juniors in college to the Baldridge program, much more accessible than is the, the full set of criteria. That's one aspect. Another aspect is the Baldridge gives you a, the framework gives you a systems approach to, to managing the performance of your organization. Uh, it, it lets you assess sort of how you're doing. It lets you identify gaps or issues where maybe you should be doing strategic planning, but you're not doing strategic planning. Maybe you should be sharing best practices across the organization, but you're not selling, you know, sharing best practices across the organization. You can <coughs> identify those kinds of issues. But what the Baldwin's program doesn't do is then tell you how to fix that. Mm-hmm. How do you fill it's that not prescriptive. gap? It's not prescript- prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So some people will learn from the framework, and you can learn a lot from the framework. It's well worth getting involved for a number of years. But then, as you want to start solving some of those problems, you have to get in c- contact with experts, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, consultants, uh, academics, others that, that may, uh, examiners that have worked in the Baldridge program for years. There are lots of people out there you can call on to help. But the Baldridge program itself doesn't provide, provide prescriptions. And it's one of the things, I, it's one of the changes I would like to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the economy obviously has been evolving significantly over the last 30 years. And the pace of change is yes. dramatically different with the advent of digital technology and essentially global competition and so forth. So for example, Baldridge journeys in the past for national award winners will take sometimes between 10 and 12 years. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. And so now when you have CEO life cycles being maybe three years or thereabouts, that could essentially be, you know, four different CEOs. That's exactly right. Which is why that board, so those board members need to engage. That's exactly right. So let's dive into that a little okay. bit. And, I, and if you're able to stay with us for our, our next week, session two, where we deep dive, we'll, we'll pick up on some of these themes. Okay. But 
But specifically, I wanted to talk to you about continuity using from a standpoint of the board, from an organization yes. standpoint, and then also accelerants. So, for example, the listeners are used to us talking about visualization of the organizational hierarchy of needs yes. connected to yes. the category. So they can quickly visualize yes. its connection and relevance. Yes. Uh, from the standpoint of structure, we, we've talked a little bit about our purpose-led strategy execution software that allows them to quickly integrate the various data sources and be able to manage their cascading scorecards simultaneously with their journey, really? all designed designed to accelerate. So the, the, the metaphor I would give is sort of like a builder. You can either right away for the blueprint and build your own house, yes, or you can engage someone like you talked about that can basically frame it up for you. Yes. So all you're needed to do is make floor covering and wall covering decisions, that kind of thing, yes. right, to be able to finish the house. So with that as a backdrop, help listeners understand in this age, what are some of the things that can be done to make the Baldridge more relevant and also speed the process along? Right. Well, uh, the, the two things that, that are on my agenda uh, are prescription to be involved more with how do we fill those gaps. I think we need to do that. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be coming from the Baldridge program itself. It could be coming from the Baldridge Foundation, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. You know, we we are we've just launched a, an institute for performance excellence right. within the Baldridge Foundation, where we can become more prescriptive than the Baldridge program has been over the decades. That that's one thing. Uh, another thing is the, the involvement with boards of directors. The Baldridge uh, program has not directly moved into that area of the organization. If you think of an organization, you can think of the oversight function, which is the board. You can think of the leadership function, which is sort of top management. You can think of the then the execution function, where things get done. Most of the people using the Baldridge criteria and the framework are in the execution part right. of the organization. These are mid-level managers and, and, and below. The framework was not really written in the language of senior executives. So it's not quite as accessible to them, and it's definitely not written in the language of governance, in the language of boards of directors. So when you see companies adopting the framework and using it for three, four, or five years, and all of a sudden they shift, it could be because, guess what, the CEO retired. Right. Or the CEO moved on to somewhere else. New CEO comes in and says, oh, you were following Baldridge. Well, I need to do it a different way. Right, I right, right. I need to right. do it my way. Their own way. You know, I can't continue to do it. They bring in their own playbook. They bring mm -hmm. in their own playbook, exactly. So if the board were involved, they wouldn't be bringing in their own playbook. Right. You'd have continuity from administration to administration if the board were involved with this. So 13, 14 years ago, Harry Hertz and I wrote a, a two-pager about this to try to kind of get this process started within the, the Baldridge program, uh, and it never really got very far. Well, I've kind of jumped back on the bandwagon, and I'm pushing as hard as I can now in my role in the Baldridge Foundation, not for the Baldridge program per se, but for the Baldridge Foundation to do more uh, for boards of directors, make it accessible for boards of directors, write something in their language that, that they can work with to help with the oversight of performance management. And, right, which is their responsibility. We do hear consistently CEOs say that that finally make that connection. We wish we had engaged our board sooner. We wish that we, you know, again sooner 
and and more broadly yes. right like not just a couple of board members but the entire board uh, that's right and get them committed to the process that's right and uh, an example of an organization that does that may, we may talk about this later is tata mm-hmm. which is a you know, seven hundred thousand people conglomerate based in india but which includes land rover and jaguar and they've got tetley t for the last 20 years i believe some names we know around wow. here very big organization last time i looked they were 103, 105 billion dollar revenue. That's big. That's big. big. So it's a conglomerate of roughly 100 companies. 32 of them are traded publicly. The holding company is not traded publicly, Tata Sons. Mm -hmm. They have engaged their board. So before an assessment is done on their organization, the board is involved. The, The chairman is consulted. The chairman will point out areas of, of weakness or areas where he thinks he or she thinks they, they should focus. And so then they do their assessment of the organization, like we would do here in, in the United States with, with the Baldrige criteria. Oh, and by the way, they basically use the Baldrige criteria. They adopted it 25 years ago, and they are still using it. So you can't even use the Tata name in this conglomerate of 100 organizations unless you are following this performance so so they attribute their sustainable success to the integration of the baldrige principles in how they operate yes it gives them a a kind of glue that keeps these hundred organizations together so and because it's non-prescriptive in this case it's an advantage so you can get all 100 organizations or a big chunk of them using this uh, without necessarily changing their culture and other things that are relevant for that particular organization. It gives them a common language. So the manager or CEO from one organization can talk to another and they can and they, they share best practices. They have something like six hundred best practices across these organizations that are available to to everybody in the organizations on a on a portal. That's awesome. So there is a there is a a balancing line sort of between overly prescriptive yes. and, and helpfully prescriptive. Yes. So let me see if I, based on the conversation so far, can can give examples for the listeners on both sides of that line. So, for example, what Dr. Deming did in, in Japan was provide statistical process control and yes. continuous improvement. That would be an example of prescription, but it's not intrusive. It right. is on the right side of the line. In That's other words, right. it's it's saying, okay, great, this is going to help us really improve. That's right. Something that may be overly prescriptive is you have to develop your strategy exactly this way, or this needs to be included in your strategy. That would be overly prescriptive. That's correct. Right. That would so, turn a lot of people off, and it would go a different direction. Right. So the benefit and power of the Baldridge all along is that it is applicable to any organization yes. in any sector. Any what, sector, any size. And what you're really saying is that to be even more helpful, there are aspects on the right side of that prescriptive line yes. that can provide tools and best practices and so forth for organizations to be able to actually accelerate yes. their journey and to maybe get more dramatic results sooner. Yes, and and they could choose from among the ones they want to use. So it's not like it's not like the Baldrige program or the foundation saying you you got to use these. If you don't use these, you're you know you're going to go go wrong. No, that's not it at all. Uh, the, the framework really opens the door. The framework opens your eyes. It allows you now to think of your organization as a whole. It's not just these 
subsets, these different divisions, these different business units, these different departments, you now can think of the whole organization. You think about it holistically, uh, but then once you start thinking of it that way and managing it that way and identifying the gaps and problems, you want to be able to fill those gaps and change, get rid of those problems, and that requires some prescription. So it, yes, one way is to, to bring in consultants. Another way I'm suggesting is that the Baldrige Foundation could have a collection of tools and methods that are available mm -hmm. for you to work with. And, and, and maybe, maybe what the foundation would do would specialize in two or three. Maybe it's strategy, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. And you, 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 know, you really build up some expertise in, in strategy and make that available uh, to the world, the way the framework was made available to the world. The framework, by the way, the Baldrige Excellence Framework, is used in over 120 countries around the world with the best example being Tata in India. Right. 25 years they've been using that now. That is absolutely That's astounding. Stunning. They may be the best example in the world of the use of, of systems thinking. And we could repurpose their 600 best practices in many organizations yes. or a subset of those. So absolutely. what's interesting, and we're, we're approaching <clears throat> towards the end of our session Good here. Gracious, time flies. Uh, I know, time flies. So we're going to start pulling together some themes that we'll include in next week's sure. deep dive. But one of the observations that I wanted to just connect the dots for the listeners on is SOAR is a partner of the Baldridge Foundation for that very yes. purpose. Yes. The idea is to bring forward tools and capabilities to accelerate the journey through the focus on strategic priority and execution. Yes. To be able to help organizations be more successful and be able to accelerate what they do. And what you're saying is more of those kinds of things as they are put forward that actually can demonstrate success in the journeys yes. should be explored. Yes. And particularly one of those sorts of things for boards of directors. Yes. I mean, that is where the power of the organization lies. It's not with with the CEO and senior management. Right. Governance is all about the distribution of power, right. and the board decides where that power will, will reside. Right. And to leave them out of the, the chain of activities associated with performance excellence, to have them just sort of hovering over the top of it without really access to what's going on down below, again, one of the great paradoxes of, of corporate governance is all of the power is based in the board, but all the information resides with management. And so, so it's hard. To, it's hard to execute effectively without that knowledge. That's it's, right. Right. It's hard to oversee without that knowledge. Exactly. It's hard to manage without that that knowledge. Exactly. So when we talk deep dive, we want to go back into that oversight, management, execution, yes. and maybe provide some practical examples of what that would look like. Absolutely. If it was done correctly. Yeah. Ironically enough, we did a CEO roundtable recently, and it was we invited their board members. We encouraged the CEOs yes. to bring their board members. Very few did. Uh -huh. It was very interesting how they just didn't want to invite them. And it was all, again, around governance discussion and Baldridge. It yes. was kind of combined. And they didn't extend the invites to their board members. And not only should the board be involved and really understand what's going on throughout the organization, the board has its own issues with organizational performance management of itself. Mm -hmm. The board has right. to also perform, and the board has to should be applying some of the Baldrige criteria to itself. Right. And we don't really have tools yet that enable boards to do that. 
you could hand them the 370 questions in 58 pages, but it's not written in the language of the board, so they're probably not going to use well, it. Well, and mm -hmm. the board is typically not full-time people. Right. They are doing they're community this. community leaders. Uh, with, they, have, they have other full-time jobs and responsibilities. Right. Yes. They could be a, a volunteer board, depending on. Nonprofit on boards or volunteer boards. That's yep. exactly right. Yep. For-profit boards, even there. Yes, you're involved and engaged, particularly today, more than 20 years ago, more than 50, 30 years ago, much more involved. But you still parachute in. Yeah, you're not for sure. there every single right. day of the you week. You may be running your own business. That's exactly right. For sure. And so you try to stay connected as best you can. You know, over my career, I've been on seven boards. I'm still on uh, two publicly traded uh, companies, and I've still been deeply involved with the processes that boards go through and the issues and the problems that boards have in overseeing organizations and why they have those issues. And maybe that's something we can talk about next week. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and the Baldridge, like anything else, also has this opportunity to continuously improve. Yes. And what you're describing now is some of those opportunities where you have an incredible framework, an incredible history, great examples of success like you've talked about with Tata and other organizations. Yes. But there, as the economy speeds up, digital technology comes in competition, competition. becomes global not just local. in time expectations all those kinds disruption of, every other day for sure yeah yes. so so kind of to conclude this segment we often get asked why would i engage in a baldridge journey just because of both its comprehensiveness which implies complexity as well as its time and and what we often say back is you can either be reactive as an organization to all of these seismic changes, or you can have a really, really solid structure in every facet of your organization, yes. which gives you agility yes. and being able to be nimble and move the way you want to respond. Yes, you have to be able to then be able to review that entire organization and make the changes you need to make in the face of the disruptions around you, in the face of the digital economy and all the things that are happening to us on a day on a day out basis. You, you, you look at the Fortune 500 years ago, and it was the same companies year after year yeah, after for year. Sure. That's Not changing now that's all right. the time, and so so if you don't fully understand your system. How are you going to optimize the system? Right. What we what we what we drift into is optimizing each of the subunits on its own. You know. Okay. So you do yours, and Lisa, you do your system, and I'll do my subsystem. But when you do that, you're not optimizing the overall no. system. The right. overall organization suffers. If you're doing the best you can, you're doing the best you can, Ben, and I'm doing the best I can. Doesn't mean the organization's doing as well. As yeah. Well. Again, I was at McKesson for almost 20 years, and we were basically a bunch of franchises. Yes. We we'd been companies that were acquired. And it was survival of the fittest, and whoever performs the best, knock yourself out. Yeah. And we didn't share those best practices. So I'll that's, give that's it, improved. They've, yes, impro yeah, they've improved. It's, it's well known in continuous improvement. If you improve a part, it can actually to the to the exception of the whole, you can actually be detrimental to it. Absolutely right. So, for example, in a hospital, if you optimize the emergency department, but you haven't figured out how to accommodate patients in beds, yes, all you're doing is creating. Yes. <laughs> borders in yes. the ED. That's so right. it's, you're not actually helping yourself, and that's kind of the, a practical example of what you're talking so, about. So there's disruption around one of your products in your organization. You're going to have to address that somewhat, but that's going to now perhaps affect the other parts mm -hmm. of your organization. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a handle on this in sort of a systems way, you're not going to make it. You're going you're to suffer. The disruption will be worse. 
So listeners, stay tuned because next week we're going to be doing a deep dive on this conversation with Dr. Benson, who is unarguably one of the most insightful and experienced leaders in Baldridge that we know of. So it's a privilege to have him on the show, and we look forward to the discussion next week. It's good to be with you, Ben. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Lisa. And thank you to Dr. George Benson as well. And thank you to our listeners here on Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. A reminder, you can listen to this show live every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time by visiting businessradiox.com, clicking on the Gwinnett Studio, and then selecting Leader Dialogue. Also, you can enjoy any of our past episodes by visiting leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of our host, Ben and Lisa, and our special guest, Dr. George Benson, I'm Mike Salmond, and thank you for joining us for Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X.